Uh, this morning, I got to share with you why I do not want to go to hell. I do not want to go to hell because I'll be separated from God, face absolute torment there, the stay will be eternal, and it will be worse for me than if I had not ever believed. But as I pointed out in the lesson this morning, my reasons for serving the Lord and submitting to Jesus are not just on that negative side of what I want to avoid. I also have some positive side motivation on that. I don't want to go to hell, but I do want to go to heaven. And tonight, I wanted to spend a few minutes just sharing with you the reasons that I want to go to heaven. And I hope that this will benefit you and help you desire to get there and want to serve the Lord even more because of where we're going and what's been promised for us. Before we look at this, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we lift up your name because you are awesome and powerful and majestic. You have created this world, and it's by your power that is sustained. But we recognize that a day's coming when you'll destroy it. And we look forward to what you have promised us after that day. Father, we so look forward to being with you in heaven for eternity, and we pray that you strengthen us to live in accord with your gospel, to walk worthy of your Son, to bear fruit that glorifies and honors you. We want to be with you forever in heaven. And Father, we are amazed that you have blessed us with mercy and with grace by the blood of your Son so that we can be there with you. And we ask that you strengthen us through that grace as well, that we might honor and glorify you and lift you up. Forgive us because we have sinned. We've sinned far too often. We look forward to that time when we can be with you in heaven where righteousness dwells. And we ask that you would help us to be righteous, to be conformed to the image of your Son. Father, we praise your name. We love you and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son we pray. Amen. The very first reason why I want to go to heaven is kind of the opposite of what I said this morning. I want to go to heaven because in heaven I get to be in the presence of God. We look in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, as Jesus was preparing his disciples for his ultimate departure, he said in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The place where we're going to spend eternity with Jesus is in His Father's house. Heaven is the Father's house. And we get to be with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit, in all their glory for all eternity. Can you just imagine how amazing that will be? Think about the vision that John had in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, John says there that I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. John is called up into heaven. He got a glimpse into heaven. And what did he find there? Well, we find him there with God. It says in verse 2, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And in chapter 5 in verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll. We find that God is on the throne. There is the Father there. And in chapter 5 and verse 13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne be blessing and honor and glory and might forever 
and ever. We have the Father. But not only the Father, there's the Son as well. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And in verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then in verse 13, I skipped this part, it said, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. We see the Lamb, we see the Son, but we also see the Spirit as well. In chapter 4 and verse 5, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And I believe that's the apocalyptic representation of the the Holy Spirit. Not that there's seven, but seven being the number of completeness, dealing with that Spirit of God. And we find Him again in verse 6 of chapter 5. Between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw the Lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. We find the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And when we are called up to heaven in eternity, we will be with them. Sometimes we we like to hear about our friends who have met famous people, who have shook hands and spent some time with with famous people, sports stars, television stars, actors, politicians, you know, the like. I mean, I'll tell you... uh, Listen, I got to fly on a plane. Now, some of you might know this. Some of you won't know who this is. I got to fly on a plane with Blondie. Boy, what a claim to fame is that, huh? I got to meet Amy Grant out here at the Gentry Farm once. Saw Michael W. Smith walking into Lowe's one night as I was leaving. And I even got to have my picture taken with Kenneth Starr. Uh, you know, uh, Jimmy looks at me. Who on earth is Kenneth Starr? I don't want to get into a political thing here, but he was the guy that prosecuted the President Clinton. Okay, uh, but I got to shake hands with. I got my picture taken with him. Uh, you know what? A, these are famous people. Wow. Are you jealous? You know, sometimes we are. I know none of those people really stack up much on our on our spectrum of amazing things. But boy, we hear some folks talk about the the people that they they met. I found out last week Fred Thompson. You know, his mom's a member up at Brentwood. He visited back there. Visited Brentwood. Uh, on Mother's Day. Uh, Ron was telling me about his son, went up and talked to him. That man might end up being our president sometime. Wow. But all that pales in comparison to being in the presence of God. Is there anybody that we could meet or spend time with that we'd say, well, I'd rather be with them than in the presence of God? I think about Moses who in Exodus 33, as he turns to God and, and, and lists his greatest wish, he says, I want to see your glory. And God said, all right, I'll, do, I'll tell you what, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you up because you can't see my face and live. But we'll get to be there in the presence of God and his glory for all eternity. Can you imagine how amazing that will be? I want to go to heaven because in heaven I get to be in the presence of God. I want to go to heaven... Because when I get to heaven, I will have an imperishable, immortal body. That resurrected body is one that is imperishable and immortal. I'm only 33 years old. That's not that old, Ethan. 
That's not that old. Remember that. As much as he tries to tell me I'm getting old. It's not as old as Marita. I can tell you that. At least not for another month anyway. But even at my young, tender age, I've already recognized that I am in a mortal and extremely perishable body. First of all, I've already become well acquainted with death. I recognize that, that death happens, and it's going to happen to all of us. We're all mortal. But as I, I mean, I'm only 33, but already each year, my knees hurt a little bit more, my back hurts a little bit more. Marita says that's because each year I weigh a little bit more. But either way, I know that it's getting worse. And I know that some of my aches and pains are nothing compared to some of the things that some of you folks who are a bit older than me deal with. When we live in mortal, perishable bodies. We look in Ecclesiastes, beginning in chapter 11 and verse 8. It says in chapter 11 and verse 8 of Ecclesiastes, If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dim, the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terror is ruined away. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the street. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. What an amazing word picture of, of growing older. Notice the things that it says. These are the things that happen to our body. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, it's our hands and our arms and our legs tremble. The strong men are bent at our back begins to hunch over. Grinders cease because they are few. Our teeth start falling out of our head. Those who look through the window are dimmed. Our eyesight gets bad. Cataracts start growing. The doors on the street are shut. The sound of grinding is low. Our hearing starts to go. And yet, they'll rise with the sound of a bird. As you get older, I don't know how many folks I hear that are, that are much older than me that talk about it. They just have a hard time sleeping. And any noise will wake them up and then they can't get back to sleep. They have their afraid of what is high. The older we get, the harder it is to climb up on that ladder. Terrors in the way, the almond tree blossoms, our hair begins to turn white or gray. The grasshopper drags itself along. We move slowly. These are the things that we're going to experience as we go through this life, and every one of us are going to experience them. It doesn't matter how healthy we are. It's going to happen. Even the most healthy, who may live longer, and it may not hit us as early as others, this is going to happen to us. We live in mortal perishable bodies. But in heaven, in the resurrection, the bodies that we will receive are immortal and imperishable. And we won't feel those aches and pains. We won't be bent over. We won't be using crutches and canes. We won't be sitting in wheelchairs. We won't be getting sick because we're going to have immortal, imperishable bodies. Look in 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
Verse 42. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. In verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. That's what we get when we're resurrected to life. Immortality. Imperishability. No more aches and pains. Anybody looking forward to that day? I know I want to go to heaven because that's I'm looking forward to that. The third reason that I want to go to heaven is because righteousness dwells there. Righteousness dwells in heaven. We live in an unrighteous world. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says that Satan tempted Adam and he sinned and, and sin came into the world through Adam. And then all men followed in the footsteps of Adam. We live in a sinful world. We live in an unrighteous world. We live in a world where Satan has his foothold and his influence is everywhere. His temptation and his work and his power surrounds us. I face temptation every day. And some days I submit. Some days are better than others. But I sin. I have sinned. I've sinned this week. And I don't know about you, but I am just sick and tired of that. I'm tired of living in a world where the influence of Satan bombards me day in and day out. I'm tired of living in a world where the influence of Satan is bombarding my children. I'm tired of living in a world where unrighteousness is the norm. I look forward to what Peter tells us about in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, Peter says, But according to his promise, we are awaiting a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. A place where there is no sin, there is no sinful influence, Satan has no foothold on us, on what is around us, and we can live in complete righteousness because heaven is where righteousness dwells. And I look forward to that day. I look forward to the day where I don't have to wake up in the morning and think it's just going to be another fight all day long. I look forward to the day where I can wake up and I don't have to worry about what's going to influence my friends and my family. I look forward to a day where I can get up and everyone around me is living in righteousness as well. I want to be in heaven because that's where righteousness is. I want to be in heaven... Because in heaven, I'll get to be like Christ. I want to be like Christ. 
Christ is my Lord and my Savior. He's my hero. He's the one I look up to. He's the one that I most want to be like. And I'm happy that we're not left alone in that endeavor. Romans chapter 8 points out to us. In Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 28, in Romans 8 and verse 28, Paul wrote, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. Paul says that the ones God foreknew to be in Christ, He has predestined to become like Christ. We're going to get to be like Christ. But we need to understand that ultimately and absolutely, that growth is not going to be completed here. We'll become more and more like Christ in our morality and our spirituality, but ultimately we're not going to be like Christ until the resurrection. Look in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. John offers us this great promise. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, that is Jesus, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Now, I don't understand the full meaning of that. Even John didn't fully understand it. He said, you know, we don't know completely what it means, but, but, when we see Him, we'll be like Him because we'll see Him as He is. I am looking forward to the day that I get to be like Jesus Christ. That's what we're striving for. That's what we want. And that day is coming in heaven. I want to be there so that I can be like Christ. The fifth reason that I want to go to heaven is that I will be able to rejoice with exultation. Some of the things that we've already mentioned demonstrate that we live in a world where sadness is somewhat prevalent. We've got the physical aches and pains that we deal with. We see our loved ones get sick and all the things that they're dealing with. We, people lose jobs. People lose loved ones. People go through hard times in their marriages. Sin happens. People fall away. All of these things sadden us. On top of that, we face the persecution and the oppression of others who look down upon us, castigate us because of our spirituality. And, and that even saddens and disappoints us. That distresses and discourages us. But there's coming a day in which we can rejoice in exultation. Even now, we rejoice. We recognize that God's blessing and God's grace gives us reason to rejoice. And I've learned a long time ago that if I want happiness, that the best way to get it is, is through godliness. It's through submission to God. It's not through pursuing my own course. I always mess things up when I start going that route. Happiness comes from serving God. But as we are striving for that happiness here in this world of sin, in this world of, of perishability and mortality, it's like an uphill battle. It's like trying to run through the mud. But there's going to come a day where rejoicing is the norm. There's going to come a day when the sadness, the distress, the disappointment, the discouragement is removed from us. In 1 Peter chapter 4, in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. In 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. 
but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Some translations say that you may also rejoice in exaltation. And the way I've often pictured that, you know, you see these runners. These people who are training for marathons or for races, and sometimes you'll see them, they'll put these weights on their legs. Have you ever seen that? I think that's just about the definition of insanity. It's tough enough to run just all on its own, but to add extra weight, that's just insane. But there's a reason they're doing that. It's because if they can run the race with those weights on, imagine what's going to happen when they actually get to the race and they take those weights off. It's going to, they're going to feel like they're lighter than air. They're going to be able to take off. And that's really the, kind of, the, the picture that Peter is presenting for us here. While we're down here, as we work and strive to rejoice despite all the bad things that are happening to us, when we actually get to heaven, it's going to be like all the weights have been removed. It's going to be like that thing that's been holding us back is taken away, and we're going to be able to take off out of the starting gate, rejoicing with exultation. I'm looking forward to the time when the norm is rejoicing. When the norm is exaltation, when the norm is happiness and joy and blessedness, and it's not a struggle, it's not a fight, it's not having to overcome all those negative things that are going on in our lives because I'm just supposed to rejoice anyway. Rejoicing is just going to be what we do. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being somewhere for eternity where rejoicing with exaltation is just, it's just what we do? And everybody else is doing it. An eternal celebration of joy. I want to go there because I want to rejoice with exultation. I want to go there because I will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I recognize that this motivation probably applies to me and folks that are like me a little bit more. than this. Some folks say, well, okay, you know, that's nice. But you have to understand, I am a words of affirmation person. Uh, I know that you love me because you say things like, you know, Edwin, you're awesome, you're great. Uh, you know, those are the kind of things that I love. I, you know, on the way home, and it really stinks when Marita's sick, because on the way home, you know, I asked Marita five times, and she's about the sermon. You just asked me, I know, but I've got to hear it again. You know, I'm a words of affirmation person, and so I'm looking forward to the day when I get to hear those words of affirmation from my Father in Heaven, like in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21, the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Or like he says in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. I'm looking forward to the day when he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come, you who are blessed by my father. And I tell you, the one I want to hear more than anything else. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 16. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 16, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. God is not ashamed. I want to hear that one day. I was not ashamed to be called your God. And I'm looking forward to going to heaven, to standing before God. And because of the grace and blood of Jesus Christ, I know it's not because of me, but because of the blood and grace of Jesus Christ, being able to hear these words of affirmation from our Father in heaven, who says, enter in, good and faithful servant. I was not ashamed to be called your God. Come, you blessed of my Father. I'm looking forward to that day. I want to go there. I want to hear that. I want to be with God. And finally, I'm looking forward to going to heaven because God will entrust me with true riches. 
There's not a day that goes by that I'm not amazed at how much God has blessed me in this world. I have a nice house. I drive decent cars. I wear nice clothes. I eat lots of really good food. I have a wonderful wife. I have three, almost four of the greatest children in the world. I have a wonderful family. I have great brethren. I've got, I mean, God has just blessed me more than I have possibly deserved already. And yet I realize that the blessing that we have received here is nothing compared to the true riches, the true blessing that He has promised us in eternity. Look in Matthew chapter 25 again. In these parables of judgment in Matthew chapter 25, we're not going to read the entire parable of the talents. We all know what happened. There were the five, two, and the one talent man. And the five and two talent men, they, they invested their talents wisely and they were able to make a return to the Lord. And the one talent man didn't. But I want you to notice what he says to the five and the two talent men. They come in in verse 21. As he's talking to the five talent man, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. He says the same thing to the two-talent man in 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And then we have in Luke chapter 16 another parable of judgment. In Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 10, we have here the parable of the dishonored, dishonest steward, and we're not going to get into all that that means. I know there's some confusion there, but I just want you to notice beginning in verse 10, where Jesus starts bringing home the takeaway. He says, One who is faithful in very little, this is Luke 16:10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? The implication is, is that when we're faithful over another's, we'll be given that which is our own. When we're faithful over the unrighteous wealth, we will be given the true riches. I'm going to tell you, I don't fully understand what that is. I don't fully understand what is the much, what is my own, and what is the true riches. I, I don't know exactly what God has ready for us in heaven. But if what I've got now is not the true riches, and it's just the little, and what we're going to get over there is the much, and it's our own, it's the true riches, how amazing must that be? And God is going to bless us with that. And I'm looking forward to that day, and I want to be part of that. I want to be in heaven. I want to be in heaven because I'll get to be with God. Because I'll have an imperishable, immortal body. Righteousness dwells there. I'll get to be like Christ. I'll be able to rejoice with exultation. I'll hear affirming words, and God will entrust me with true riches. I want to go to heaven. How about you? I remember one time when I was in college, one of my good friends asked me, they said, what, what's heaven going to be like? And, you know, I was 17 or 18. I hadn't thought much about it. And, and I said, well, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be, I think we're going to get to be worshiping God for eternity. And, and she said, well, you know, I don't think I want to go there. And her honesty shocked me a little bit. And I just said, well, why? And she said, well, you know what? I don't want to worship God here. Why would I want to do it forever? And my extremely intelligent, mature response was, well, it's better than the alternative. 
And I apologize for my shallowness, but remember, I was 18. But you see, there's more to it than just, it's better than the alternative. I don't want to go to heaven just so I can stay out of hell. I want to go to heaven because heaven is going to be amazing. And I'm just not sure that we can fathom how amazing it's going to be. But I want to go. Who wants to go with me?